So welcome back to the Gathering Podcast by Startwell, where we kind of examine this new working reality that everyone is in. It is the year 2022, and it's almost 2023. Cars drive themselves, um, and uh, and apparently they don't do a great job of it yet, but that's about to change. Maybe not, as Elon Musk's taking his attention to yet another venture. Regardless, today, uh, this is the... 11th or 12th podcast. Oh my God. What is it? This is the 12th podcast in the Gathering series. And today I'm in studio with Emma Hunt from Bloom. Emma, thanks for joining me. Yeah, no worries. Thank you for having me. Um, it's funny you talk about self-driving cars. Uh, I was reading that the Jetsons was uh, in 2023 or what? 2022. Oh, That's when the Jetsons was supposed to be. So they had really ambitious goals for us at this point Honestly. that we haven't lived up to. <laughs> no, we have not. In the last couple of decades, humanity has really, you know, <laughs> taken a backseat to yep. innovation. <laughs> um, innovation that helps people. But anyway, w- w- Bloom. Let's talk about what Bloom is, because from the tagline, which is, no, I'm not even going to go there. (laughs) I'm not going to sell your company to you. You sell it to me. What does Bloom do? Yeah, so um, Bloom is a workplace design consultancy. So um, we have a couple of different streams in the company in in terms of what we do, but essentially we want to help make better workplaces. So one of those streams um, is diversity, equity, and inclusion. So we actually run training for both individuals and companies for DEI. Um, We've worked with uh, a lot of different companies in that space, like, you know, less expected ones like the great farmers of Ontario oh, cool. <laughs> through to Loblaws Digital. So um, it's it's companies, to be honest, of all sizes, different industries. Um, and we also run community sessions every month um, that will be focused on different things that are open to the public to buy tickets for. Like This is in-person events? Um, no. So everything Bloom does is virtual okay. because we are a distributed team. Um, so these are all virtual. Um, it's through Wavy, um, a platform we use, and Zoom. And uh, yeah, some of the community events will be focused on things like how to have courageous conversations, um, you know, uh, sexual diversity and gender. Um, Then on the other side, and this is where I sit within the company, um, we do talent advisory for different clients to, you know, one, help them recruit talent. Mm -hmm. um, But also two, we along the way help them to recruit more inclusively and through an anti-oppressive lens. So we help them get the systems and the practices in place and continuously educate clients on how to recruit from a kind of DEI lens. Um, And then our newest offering, which I'm very excited that I'm involved in, is we are running um, Bloom Academy for recruitment. So um, this is for recruiters, hiring managers, leaders. They can join a cohort that runs over eight weeks Mm -hmm. where they get foundational DEI training. And then the last three weeks are focused on how do you set up your systems, your processes, to run a consistent, structured, inclusive process that is equitable for everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's our newest offering. Um, And we just ran and finished our first cohort, (laughs) which was very exciting. So now I'm facilitating as well as doing the talent advisory side. Um, We also do HR advisory as well. to help, you know, better better things for employees, like making sure they have handbooks in place, um, and that startups are, or not just startups, actually, any company is compliant 
Um, but yeah, I should say it's it's not just startups. I'm working with CamH right now, for example. So super right. diverse. <laughs> for our audience that's not in Toronto, CamH is pretty much our, um, I guess, Toronto's premier mental health organization. I think it's Canada's. Canada's. Yeah. Um, they uh, are embarking on some of the biggest mental health campaigns across Canada right now, but their big facility is in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we're doing a bit of, um, work with them and, uh, like Canada Learning Code who are another nonprofit as well. They, oh, uh, Canada Learning Code. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) So they offer like free or pay what you can learning to historically marginalized communities, which is exciting. So we have some really great clients that we vet out. We don't work with anyone we don't want to work with. Mm -hmm. We don't work with anyone that hasn't been vetted. So in terms of, uh, so as a company, does Bloom go out and find the customers that you want to work with? No. They come to you? Yeah. So what's the story of Bloom? Like how how old is Bloom as a company? Yeah. So Bloom is, gosh, I should know this, three to four years old. <laughs> I think okay. it might it's be. Yeah. Like it's still pretty new. So um, Avery Francis, who is the founder, um, she essentially has quite a uh, extensive background in uh, recruitment as well as people and culture Mm -hmm. and she kind of realized that workplaces weren't working for everyone and having some not so great experiences herself especially as a black woman in the workplace um, she you know she decided to branch out and start bloom so we can essentially make help you know support in making workplaces for everyone Um, So my understanding is Bloom started with talent advisory. Um, So that was Avery's main expertise. So Mm -hmm. started there and was like, okay, we're going to, you know. That means like helping companies hire. Yeah, hire and get the systems in place for hiring um, through that kind of anti-oppressive lens and educating them along the way. Because uh, unfortunately, a lot of companies, they don't have inclusive hiring processes and a lot of managers don't hire teams or hiring managers don't have training. Mm -hmm. So that's where they started. And then last year they branched out into DEI programming and hired two of our amazing advisors, um, Vassian and Jessica, who um, are senior DEI advisors at Bloom. And our DEI program was very popular as well. Um, And they're, you know, continuing to explore different topics and evolve the topics. So, yeah, we kind of became this like full service workplace design kind of consultancy. Yeah, it's interesting. I think you almost need to be in this space because as you educate um, people that may be internal uh, HR staff at companies about casting a wider net, being more equitable in how you uh, offer opportunity to people, uh, and then interrelate their people once they're onboarded. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a it, there's a lot at play. Yeah, a lot, and a lot of I you know kind of to not call out, but there's a lot of performative DEI work in the industry as well. You know, if you look at any company, they have a DEI statement on their job ads. Yeah, and it's meaningless. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's, on, it's on the subway, like HR, the recruiting ad in the subway, but it's just a bunch of different colors of people. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those. Um, and, you know, a lot of these companies, one, they don't have, you know, the the best hiring process that is going to prioritize candidate experience, but also focus on putting systems in place to mitigate bias, for example, so they can recruit diverse teams. But then on the other side, a lot of them, they don't have the safe environments to bring even diverse teams into. Like for me, I'm always like, 
start with the DEI training, mm -hmm. get that stuff in internally as best as you can, then do the recruitment training. Right. You can't live up to that statement until right. you've done both. <laughs> no, it's really interesting because, I, I mean, I don't know. Until this became topical in the mainstream media, uh, despite our diversity, ethnic diversity and everything else in the city, in Toronto particularly, mm -hmm. I don't know whether... I don't know personally of any case studies of, of companies who undertook any specific exercise to take an inner look at, you know, the composure of their team and say, well, what's missing, if anything? And also, that might be a knowledge gap or a familiarity gap amongst people rather than just literally five people in that office, you know. There's some. There are some companies that have done it. Um, so one of our partners, Facet, um, our DEI advisor, Vassian, actually came from there before she joined Bloom and um, essentially helped them do an annual report around the state of DEI in oh, their cool. company. And that's something that's published on their site. Um, I know a couple of other companies, obviously outside of the, the Bloom roster, but I know like Wattpad, Used right. to do that, for example, quite a bit. Um, I don't know where they're at there right now. Um, Candle Learning Code publish mm -hmm. annual reports all the time um, on the state of that too. So there's companies kind of doing it. There is definitely a knowledge gap. Like a lot of people, they don't they don't know how to capture diversity data. You know how they should set it up and what they should be measuring. Also in a legal way as well. I think people get a little bit scared. Mm. because of that and the, the different kind of laws that exist. Yeah, I don't know anything about the law. <laughs> As an employer, I'm always just looking for really competent people that are awesome. Like it's meritocracy first, uh, you know, and then it's the ability to kind of like be a cultural fit. For us, it's not just with our team, it's with the thousands of staff or customers that we have. Mm -hmm. Our customers are our team, so it's like a, a very unique case. <laughs> but... um. But it is interesting. So are there particular tips that you could offer anyone in the audience who's, who's a company kind of scratching their heads at this issue, wondering how to approach it? What are what are top tips that they should be considering mm -hmm. uh, for assessing the criteria by which they measure, you know, their own uh, maybe internal DEI? Yeah. Which gosh. stands for, let's break it down, of course, it's diversity, equity, and inclusion. inclusion. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, my God. I'm like, <laughs> where do you start? Um, so it, I do start, I do think, like, not to, to be plugging Bloom or anything, but I do think before you even embark on that, that DEI training, like foundational DEI training is so important um, so you can understand where you where you could should be involved in the conversation mm -hmm. where you should leave space mm -hmm. and how you might approach your communication into conducting something like this um and to say as well you know it should always be optional if you're going to you know get any demographic data for example it should always be optional like it solicited should never data be. from candidates yeah, from uh, candidates or from your internal employees, depending where you're looking right. to do it. Because um, I have, yeah, there's kind of, I would suggest different strategies on if you were trying to collect it for candidates versus internal mm -hmm. employees. Um, but yeah, It's weird, right? Let's just like take a step back and say, okay, <laughs> I've got XYZ company and I've got 100 employees and now I'm kind of thinking, wait, you know what? I've never or none of my staff have ever kind of really thought about how uh, 
really how diverse our population of, uh, of staff is. And it's something that we need to kind of like understand to really assess. Let's say I'm going through some sort of larger cultural analysis. Like what is the culture of my company? Mm-hmm. Um, so I would need to kind of know who are my people to assess that. And then also look forward to say, as we grow our family of, you know, employees, you know, what, what are we looking for? Um, mm-hmm. So everyone can kind of feel that, you know, um, whatever it is that, that we want as a culture, whether that means um, tapping into a larger experience set through getting to know people mm-hmm. from more diverse backgrounds or whatever it is. Um, yeah, like how do they go about it? There's so many ways to approach this, I'm assuming, but it's kind of weird and tacky to like start surveying your population, you know? Yes. And be like, <laughs> hey, Jim. Are you black? <laughs> what kind of black are you? You know, like, how do you approach this? It's, it's, it, there's, there's this kind of sensitivity question, but then there's this also like, yeah, what data do you actually need for what purpose? I mean, that's, and that's why, it, you know, it, it is optional because also, you know, for some folks, they might not want to disclose certain aspects, um, especially if it might be sexuality or gender, for example. Like, I would never force anyone to disclose their pronouns. For example, that's something that should always be optional just in case they're not comfortable, they're not out. What's the goal of collecting that data anyway? It's really to understand what the makeup of your company is. And when you're, you know, hiring into the future, where might you need to actually diversify your teams? Um, And I think a lot of us know this. This is kind of thrown out there a lot, but there's obviously a lot of data around online, around if you have more diverse teams, companies perform a lot better. Mm -hmm. Um, You've got more diverse thinking. Mm -hmm. Everyone's not approaching things from the same lens. Mm -hmm. Um, For example, I've worked at startups where, you know, you have a a whole team who is from let's say the same university. Mm, of course. And it's like bro culture. <laughs> yeah, bro culture that normally all men <laughs> all from the same university. I've had a couple of women thrown in there too. Again, same university. And you, you've just got this kind of same thinking approach. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're only tackling things in a certain way without nuance. Um, what I love actually about the Bloom team is we're, we're all, it's it's a diverse company. Like we're all from extremely different backgrounds different cultures um, and in and, and different um, experiences as well. Not everyone has transferred from tech, for example. Mm-hmm. Like Jessica has come from learning, essentially, and and come into here. So we always, um, I find when we're talking about stuff internally, we always approach things with nuance. It's never kind of one view. Like generally there's a lot of stuff we're, you know, on the same line of thinking because we we all have the same kind of training around kind of DEI and the, the way you might approach things, but we don't always agree. <laughs> and things are always approached from a nuanced point of view where we're looking at different perspectives. And when you've got a team that, you know, they are very similar folks, whether that be personality, whether that be background, education, companies, you lose that. And you lose that diverse thinking that might be the thing that could help a project be more innovative right you know right and you might be not only losing that kind of like meta perspective on what you're doing and who you are uh, and how you think but because of that you turn you have natural blinders for looking for opportunity yeah absolutely and, and you may be biased to dismiss opportunity a hundred percent like bias obviously we know big thing in the workplace big thing in the recruitment process 
it's you know if you have someone come into a team that thinks differently and it's not embraced like not to say that will always be the case but if it's not embraced you know that person might feel a certain way about that and not feel included might not feel that they belong because Mm. they think differently or even develop you know an imposter syndrome because they are thinking differently Mm -hmm. to the rest of the team like thinking oh my god am I not doing this right do I am I not as knowledgeable as maybe I thought I was so it it kind of can bring in a lot of like going against a a sense of belonging Mm -hmm. and inclusion essentially can we talk about talent attraction oh yeah favorite topic (laughs) I like you know, I'm one of those people, like pretty much everyone, who, who really has a tough time putting on um, my salesman hat, mm-hmm. you know, whenever I need to like do outbound prospecting for our business. And to, you want to come off authentic, obviously, in your messaging, but also you want to relate the value that you're offering someone through a sale, right, through an outbound sale and say, hey, this is something that can really help you and it'll be amazing. And like, let's have some sort of interaction experience so that you can see it up front and, mm-hmm. and consider the purchase. Um but when it's people, how do you find people to fill roles? <laughs> I think a lot of companies think about this. <laughs> um, how do I find people? It's in many different ways. Um, so where do I start? So actually, this is I'll, I'll start with this just because this was something we ran a community session on Bloom this week. Um, and we do get a lot of feedback from our candidates on this. So... Whenever we work with a company, we always, I would say 99% of the time, rewrite their job descriptions for them Mm -hmm. that are going to be advertised out. Okay. Um, Reason being is a lot of job descriptions, they don't serve the candidate. Mm -hmm. And often they're not human. They're not inclusive. Right. And they're like technical jargon within the lens of functional expectations of the organization. Yeah, and like it's it's just kind of like you don't know who you might be working with. You also have like some just terrible language sometimes. Right. That's like it's a fast-paced environment which translates to no work-life balance. Yeah. <laughs> you you have a, a lot of things like that and honestly, I'm not sure I want to hear you shouting about your growth because I want to know more about how you're planning for growth mm-hmm. considering what's going on in the tech industry. <laughs> so, um we we tend to work with the hiring manager. Um we start the job description actually with an entire hiring manager introduction from their perspective. So um, it will be like, hi, I'm Emma, I'm a senior talent advisor at Bloom. This is my background. Um, This is the team and the kind of thing we're looking to do. And it will be linked up to their LinkedIn profile and stuff. So we're adding a bit of that kind of humanity to the job description so they can see straight away oh, that will be my manager. Um, We include, we always, always encourage employers to put salary on there. Um, We want to practice salary transparency Mm -hmm. as well um, because it helps obviously manage expectations. Um, I have a question about that. Yeah. Salary, what about progression of salary? Because this is becoming topical. Mm. Especially in Toronto, as inflation is an issue, as cost of living is is an issue, and this is something in our in, in the series that, that I've been hearing from a number of people in um, in recruiting and in HR is that they're especially in technical roles like engineering roles in tech firms. Mm-hmm. There's this kind of like expectation that churn is going to be a facet of your business, and churn can mean top dollar hires mm-hmm. rotating through your staff role on an annual basis. 
Yeah. It's unfortunate. <laughs> we don't want to, you know, like as employers, you want to, you want to, uh, especially if you go through so much effort of, of looking through candidates, reviewing people, betting on that person being someone that could fit mm-hmm. and then developing that uh, synthesis into your team for a few months. Uh, leave aside the fees of paying a recruiter whose mm-hmm. then job has to be repeated again if, if they need to replace <laughs> the person. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot invested in that relationship from both sides, I understood. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting to me is that I'm hearing of, of so many cases of people kind of looking for top dollar and thinking of jobs as being gigs. Mm. I mean, the turnover rate in tech is... I would say it's probably gone down in my experience. Just I've been in tech recruitment for about 12 years now. Um, and I remember once upon a time, a couple of years ago, it was two years was the average, which mm. for, you know, more traditional kind of companies, they're like, that's nothing. And I'm like, that's eh, fine. Whatever. Two years. Great. Um, I'm pretty sure that's my <laughs> that's my turnaround. But now, it you know, it is a lot shorter and there's a lot of advice out there actually from hiring leaders to be like always be looking and if you do want to up your salary because of the economy you know various things you might have happening in your life then go out there and look um so there's a lot of that advice going out as well and you know some people are listening to it um too um but i i i think that there's a lot to do with the employer accountability as well. I understand an employer investing in someone and, you know, being sad that they leave kind of a year in. But there's, you know, there's some times that you find the employer, yes, they're investing in someone, but that's it. Mm-hmm. Like, do they have a good culture? Do they have good managers who are actually trained to be managers? Mm-hmm. Do they have progression plans and skills matrix? Spoiler alert, a lot of them don't. Right. It's uh, like we need, to, <laughs> we need to plug that hole, put the person in there, and then we'll deal with it in a year or two. Like, let them just do their job. Yeah, just let them bob along. You know, I I know so many people that have issues with leadership as well because you, you do have people that – have ended up in leadership roles and, you know, maybe haven't done management training or, or taken management training in, for example. Um, so th- there's all that kind of stuff too. And even down to the way that someone might be onboarded into a business as well. So there's all of these factors. And that's not to say like a company could do everything right and still someone's going to leave in a year. And that's unfortunately just the way it is in tech sometimes. Mm-hmm. But I also know a lot of developers who do stay at companies because they love the culture. Um, they are offered the progression. They're offered continuous development, for example. Mm-hmm. That's something that is one of the biggest things I get from people when they're talking about why they might be looking to leave because um, we do engage a lot of uh, people that aren't actively looking but like could be convinced to look. Mm-hmm. And normally it is down to growth. Um, essentially like personal growth they yeah, want to grow like, with the role they want to learn more yeah like personal growth sometimes they get put into roles they don't want to do as well um, I've had quite a bit of that in the past couple of months um, and then people feel like you know they've either been niched or they're you know managing people and they don't want to manage people they want to have the path to grow into a role even where you know they're going to be a subject matter expert and they don't have to manage people yeah it's an interesting thing because we've been talking about this internally um there's two sides to this coin, right? There's this kind of like 
I think people in the last 20 years in North America, especially, have become more privy to um, maybe a lived reality, whether it's like sugar coated or not, of uh, you know entrepreneurialism mm. as a as a potential you know career path. Uh, whether they are entrepreneurs, born entrepreneurs or not, everyone's kind of got that. Maybe I could do this instead mm -hmm. in their mind. Uh, you know, and then on the other hand, it's this like question of the side hustle. And that's becoming an emergent narrative. Like almost every person I sit down with to talk for this series mentions side hustles in some way. Mm -hmm. Whether that becomes uh, a benefit of a job that the company that's hiring you is welcoming of you taking time um, you know, one day a week if you're on a four-day work week mm -hmm. or otherwise saying outside of business hours if you're doing your side hustle. Um, people see that as almost like a kind of like keep the people happy. Like, <laughs> yeah, tinker with something but still come into work. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's interesting to me that like I think more people than ever seem to be interested in like pursuing, possibly it's because entrepreneurship is seen by most people who are not entrepreneurs and who mm -hmm. don't necessarily know how difficult it can be and, and the exhaustion involved with following your own path. Mm -hmm. um, they may see it as this kind of like, uh, as, a, as a true swappable alternative to a job. <laughs> yeah. Know? But uh, it's very interesting. And, and what are you seeing from the kind of employer lens that you guys deal with on, on that side of side to things, on um, potential hires, thinking entrepreneurially, whether that means within a role mm -hmm. or outside of it. Um, any insights that you have? I mean, when we're talking about, so um, so we don't, at Bloom, we don't talk about culture fit with employers. So when we're talking about the culture side of things, you know, I, I personally, um, I think we frame it maybe in different wording and stuff, but I personally talk about culture contribution. So when I talk to an employer, you know, I, I talk about, what's going to contribute to your culture? What are you looking for? And I would say a lot of the time entrepreneurial spirit comes up from the employer side. Yeah. I think their lens on that though is that we self directed. Want, yeah, self directed. We want them to own a product end to end, you know, work on the vision, the roadmap, and that's kind of how they see it. Mm -hmm. Now with employees doing the, the kind of side hustle. Um, I'm definitely biased for the side hustle because I side hustle as well. Um, I'm very lucky to work four day work week. So uh, Fridays are for side hustling. <laughs> what do you do on Fridays? Uh, I've got a couple of things. So um, I have a queer uh, online shop um, called I'm Enough Shop and it gives back to the queer community with every sale. Um, so I, I do that. Um, and my other hustle is resume reviews um, and resume writing as well. I have some of that today, <laughs> later on today. Um, so I, I will do consultation with people and, and help them with their, their stories on their resume and kind of help them pivot or whatever they might be looking for. Um, so I, I do those kind of outside of work. So I definitely have a bias for side hustles and I know everyone has a different reason as to why they want a side hustle. For some folks, it is generating extra money because maybe they, you know, they want to get extra compensation on top of their salary. For some people, it might be that they need an outlet outside of work that could be more creative, maybe. Sure. That's why I started my shop originally because I was in a role where I, I couldn't be creative at all at that point in time. So I wanted to flex my creative skills outside mm -hmm. of that. And for some people, it's truly just to see what they can do. But yeah. you do have people, especially in tech, who are like, I'm going to fix this and I'm going to 
bring this to run my own kind of company because there's so many funds available as well to entrepreneurs, which is really lucky. But I know companies also have issues with folks doing it during the workday too. So it happens, it's a especially funky now. One. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I'm hearing stories, especially now that we're in this like distributed workforce reality mm-hmm. where, yeah, employers are kind of a little, a little uh, hesitant to. Um, no, they're not hesitant. They're they're, they're they just qu- starting a question like, "What are what are everyone doing all day long?" You know, it's <laughs> and, weird, and that, that, that's yeah. that classic like you know Goldman Sachs or whatever perspective on like put them in the office because then we can watch them on the cameras. You know, which is definitely ticking up. Like I've yeah. been looking at um, I for various reasons. I look at job ads all the time, and um, a lot of them now they're asking for office return in office. I'm noticing it way more than earlier in the year, which is interesting. <laughs> Yeah, and and I mean, I I think you'll see more reportage in mainstream media as it you know trends up in the in the in kind of like employer interest or, or readership question as well. But like in the recovery of this kind of pandemic freedoms, at least here in in the GTA and the cities like this in North America that are like big metropolises where unfortunately, yeah, commuting times are are not very conducive to happy lives. Uh, there's still this problem where the kind of commuters steal the narrative, you know, mm. like, and I, I've been, I've been kind of like talking about this with a few people in the, in this series in the last uh, little while is that in Toronto, which is a 6 million odd person city, half of that population is in the dense urban core, like mm-hmm. lives downtown. Yeah. And all of our almost, or the, the majority of our net immigration is going to be hopefully if, if construction can catch up with it, satisfied downtown. Mm-hmm. But then the fringe cities of the GTA, you know, the greater Toronto area, uh, hold the other half. Now, it's quite likely that our urban density in terms of workplace density will continue to be low in the next few years as the commuters don't commute in as often. Mm-hmm. But I think it's interesting to look at that commute as not encouraging for uh, urban residents to actually be more not let's say not more committed to going into an office but more interested in using the space now available to them mm-hmm. you know if i worked in an office like i, I peel back my brain to, to let's say a job that i had in my 20s in new york at the project for public spaces which was an urban public space think tank mm-hmm. we had this real cool office in the in the bird society building the audubon building on broadway i absolutely loved going in on the weekends and it was cool. Like everyone was down with it, they, and, yeah. and everyone was like, it was, it was a, possibly because it, it was a really cool organization, mm-hmm. great mission, great team, um, and kind of you know hippie values, right? So no one really minded if if I was there on the weekends doing something that wasn't my job because mm-hmm. they were like, we got this great space, use it, you know. Yeah, I've I've worked at a company where we had that uh, Looker logo joy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a wonderful office um, at King and Portland and it was just like use it at the weekends like we've got this space some people go in and they play like Dungeons and Dragons or when Nuit Blanche would be on in the city some of us would stop there halfway through our walks you know have a pit stop um, and we were just allowed to do that and it was nice to have that space outside of our houses and exactly a third space yeah and I, I think the second space could be a third space exactly and and space is important still because not remote doesn't work for everyone. It it like it really doesn't. You know, for some folks, 
they might not have the environment to work remotely, especially in a city where the rental prices are going up so much, which might force people into smaller spaces. Maybe they're working in their bedroom. Maybe they have disruptive roommates. Um, or maybe they have situations at home like a child or a baby that they, you know, they need to go into a different space. So I think it's important for companies to still offer a space or at least something to uh, enable people to go to a co-working space mm -hmm. because it, it doesn't work for everyone. And for some people, simply remote working doesn't work for them in terms of how they work on a daily basis is, is kind of another thing as well. Absolutely. Um, I'm pro remote working for myself. I... I'm, as you can probably tell, not from here, uh, from London, where transport is much, much better. <laughs> so you actually have a subway in London? <laughs> yeah, we actually can get anywhere like pretty fast and on time. Every time I take TTC now, it's never on time. Um, so I'm very like anti-commuting, going into office because I, I'm, I can still do my work well mm -hmm. without going into the office and it provides me a lot more flexibility. But I know that's not the case for everybody. I think employers do need to embrace the different facets of it if they're going to want to attract the best talent but also retain the best talent. Like, don't force people to be in a certain amount of days a week. If they can do their job remote, let them be remote. If they want to use a space, let them use a space. <laughs> um, in the practice at Bloom or otherwise, are there any particular tools, software tools that you see or practices in using digital tools that can enable distributed teams to still develop their culture and get to like have team members get to know each other? Mm -hmm. um, so we're a small team at Bloom for ourselves internally. Um, you know, Slack is our number one go-to like a lot of companies. Um, for certain clients, um, we tend to onboard into whatever technology they have. So for a period this year, I was also using Microsoft Teams as well as Slack because that's what the org that I was working with was using. Mm -hmm. um, so we are pretty adaptable in terms of what we do. Um, we also love using voice notes um, more than typing a lot of the time on Slack. Mm -hmm. We find that pretty helpful. Um, a tool I personally love, and I found this a great tool when we went remote, my last startup where I was the head of people, was Loom. Like Loom was an amazing tool. This is to do? Screen recordings and you okay. can talk with them. You can also put your camera on, you don't have to. And that was amazing because I found it very good for async communication or if you really needed to demonstrate something to someone without mm. conducting a meeting like maybe I didn't have time to like actually get on a meeting I would just quickly do a screen recording send it over um, talk them through things so I do love Loom and um, I'm just a big fan of G Suite in general yeah. it's so simple and basic but it, it, it does a lot. <laughs> it's reliable. Yeah. And the collaboration <laughs> aspect of just like, it sounds funny in this day and age, but I mean, I, I'm still amazed by all this technology. Thinking back to like very linear formats and nothing cloud-based not long ago, but to be able to log into a document and like see who's editing it and like have make, like gamify the co-editing right? of a document. You is don't have to powerful. send it back and forwards like yeah. once upon a time. Um, I also love Notion as well. What's Notion? Notion is, how do you describe Notion? It's like uh, an online uh, tool where you can hold information, you can put things in folders, but then you can do a lot of different things with it. You can project manage, you know, you could make, um, you can make different workflows through it. Um, you can assign tasks to people. You can even build in, you know, 
data, graphs, whatever you might need. Um, I love it because I think it has a lot of uses like for async communication, but you could also host your employee handbook on it mm -hmm. and that lives there now that doesn't live in a document right and you can constantly update things really easily so i'm a big fan yeah of notion especially if you might be uh managing a project like not as a project manager i would suggest a different software for that but for right. me um i find it yeah quite nice because i can make a kanban board and assign things and move things through the flow so it's pretty easy but yeah also great for documentation async communication, which is important if you've got a remote aspect to your company. Uh, you mentioned your Bloom does these community mm -hmm. events. Yes. What's coming up that people could drop into? And is you said they're open to the public and they're remote? Yes. Um, so we do have remote events. We have people from all over the world join them. So right now we're actually doing something we've never done before. And we're doing free community sessions, mm -hmm. which are 30 minute learning sessions on different subjects it might be focused on that you could learn more about later on in Bloom Academy. But this week we did inclusive job descriptions, for example. But next week, um, Jessica, our DEI advisor, is going to be hosting how to take accountability at work. Mm. Um, so she's going to be hosting a 30-minute session on that. Um, and then the week after, I will be talking and hosting a session. Um, I will be doing how to call in hiring manager bias okay. in the recruitment process. Uh, that week, we also have examining equity versus equality. And then the week after, we have um, how to source uh, or like diverse sourcing strategies as well. So those are the ones we have going on right now and they're free, which we never do free stuff, but we're offering more to the community. Um, so we've been yeah trying to package as much as we can into those 30 minute sessions. Obviously, you can only do some of the main points, but this week we had amazing feedback. People came away from this 30 minute session being like, this is the number one change. I'm actually gonna go and do my job description right That's now. Amazing. So they're, they're pretty cool. Uh, we're hosting those till the end of the year ahead of our January cohort for Bloom Academy. And Bloom Academy, I guess you spell it out for our audience who may be interested. Yes. <laughs> so Bloom Academy um, is our main learning experience program. So we offer multiple tracks within Bloom Academy. So um, the one I'm involved in is Bloom Academy for recruitment. Mm -hmm. So that's for hiring managers, for leaders and recruiters to do the DEI foundations um, and then actually dive deeper into hiring systems and process uh, grounded in anti-oppression and inclusivity. Um, then we have our DEI uh, human track, which is a brand new track mm. that we are launching in January. And this is a foundational DEI program for anybody, okay. essentially. Um, so that's our, a new track. We also have um, a DEI track for the workplace. So we find a lot of HR professionals take that one, people managers, really anyone in the workplace that wants to be an advocate. Maybe you're in your internal like diversity group or something. Um, and then the last one is we host a DEI stream for influencers. Mm, so influencers can, um, you know, be less performative and live more kind of authentically in their content. So we, we do actually have quite a lot of influencers that join us for that as well. Um, a lot of Instagram influencers, for example. Um, so, yeah, those are the four main tracks. <laughs> Super wicked, man. So... We'll drop some links into the uh, into this video and in the description below. So if anyone is interested in finding out more about Bloom, joining the Academy, 
or dropping into these uh, community sessions, they will be able to do that real quick. Uh, it was awesome chatting. Yeah, great chat. And thanks for coming into the studio today. <laughs> thanks for having me. It's, it's absolutely a pleasure. <laughs>